Hey, you can just stay standing. You, you can. I just want to stay in this moment for a minute. The band's going to keep playing. I just want to continue on with what David was sharing. I had, I had such a sense as we were worshiping that, uh, that coming into the holidays, for some of you, there's just a heaviness that you're carrying. And it can be for lots of different reasons. I know the week of Thanksgiving for our family, there's a weightiness to it. My dad passed the week of Thanksgiving five years ago. And so whatever it is for you that, that for... As you stand here tonight, as we were worshiping, you, you felt it, if, if this is you. There's, there's just a heaviness in your heart. It, it could be that there's an unmet dream that you're wrestling with. It, it, it could be that there's a, a, a death or a, a passing of a loved one that you're grappling with. It, it, could be a, it could be, listen to this, your reputation of who you used to be. Even though you're not that person anymore, it seems like it's just following you around like a shadow. And it creates a heaviness in your life. It could be a miscarriage or infertility or promotion that you feel like you were passed by, but just a, a, a weightiness or a heaviness, you feel it if that's you. I'm just going to invite you to raise your hand where you are. We just want to pray for you in this moment. Just If there's somebody close to you that has a hand up, can you just gather around? Keep it up because we want everybody that has a hand up to have some people standing around them praying for them. Everybody, keep your hand up. Make sure you find your way. Don't be afraid to get out of your your spot. No one's going to steal your seat. Father, we pray for these hands that are lifted up right now in Jesus' name. God, we know, just as David was sharing and that last song that we were singing, even as, as people were here at the altar, that there is a hug that you want to give that we can't find anywhere else in this world. There's an embrace from who you are as our Father and our Creator on the inside of who we are that's unlike anything else that we can feel in this life. So I pray that in this moment, as, as these people that are bold enough and brave enough to raise their hand and, and as people are standing around them, that, that it would be a picture for them for what you're doing on the inside of their hearts. that you would come in and comfort, that you would come in and whisper words of affirmation, that they would feel loved and chosen and special, that they would see that they are the apple of your eye. And we pray right now in Jesus' name that that feeling of heaviness, it would just lift right off of them, that it would just dissipate that it would begin to dissolve and that the joy of Jesus Christ would rise in their heart like a sunrise on a dark morning. That the hope and the faith that your Holy Spirit that inspires in our heart, that it would come like a rising tide. That even though their circumstance is unchanged, who they are in the midst of this circumstance is changing now, even as we pray, because of who you are with them. In Jesus' in Jesus' name, come on, we pray, and everybody said together, Amen. Come on, it's good.
was thinking about Pastor David sharing that, you know, one day Selah might not need him. And I thought to myself as a father of three teenagers, David, fear not. <laughs> the need just changes. Mm -hmm. Right now it's help, but soon it's going to be money and lots of it. So it's coming. It's coming. April, I'm going to jump right to the slide. I don't know if there's a slide for John 17 or not. If not, you can just leave the series slide up and just wait for me. I'm not going to start there for the sake of time. I'm going to jump down. So, you know, we, we've been in this series, Why Do Be? I'm not going to do, do intro for that if you're visiting. Uh, you can get that on the podcast. We always put the notes also on there. So the part that I'm going to jump past tonight is going to be on the notes page. You can download that. Uh, from the uh, from the internet for the website citylifeva.com, uh, but this this series why do be it's it's the series that we created to really talk about this new mission statement that uh, that we feel like God has impressed upon us that we've uh, been sharing with you for the last couple of months to build the church Jesus envisioned to love the world He died to save and 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 tonight we're we're talking about what we believe to be one of the outcomes that God uses to look at us as a church to ask the question, are they doing it like I would do it? We want to build the church that Jesus envisioned. That's an important part of our mission statement, that we want to build the church that, that Jesus wants to build. We just want to be his hands and his feet while it's being accomplished. And that means that you've got to stop every now and again and look at what you're building and, and, and look for some outcomes. L look for evidence that you're doing it the way Jesus would want to do it, and, and we can learn those outcomes by looking into this book. And we believe that one of the outcomes that you must find to see if you're building the church that Jesus has envisioned is unity. Unity. Pastor Justin, our Suffolk campus pastor, preached on it here back in October. I've preached on it there at the Suffolk campus, and then I'm coming here to do it, and he's gone back there because we believe that this is one of the most important outcomes that we can ever look for as a church to see if we're on the right track. It's like you know you're going on a trip and 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 you're and you've got your your phone or your if you've got a GPS in your car, you, we're just following the blue line, right? There's got to be blue lines that you follow as a church and as a congregation to know that you're headed in the right direction. Unity is one of our blue lines. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to John 17, 21. John 17, 21. This is Jesus praying. He's living his last days before the crucifixion. And he's praying to the Father for his life, for his ministry. He's praying for us. And when he gets to the part where he's praying for us, we find these words in verse 21. It says, I pray that they, that's you and me, listen to what it says, will all be one. And then he gives a comparison, just as you and I are one. So he's praying that we would have a sense of unity, just like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have a sense of unity. That's a high standard. He says, I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one. And then listen to what he says. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. Now, there are three very important parts to this verse of prayer. 
Jesus is saying to you and to me that we have a responsibility to reveal to the world that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world, right? The prayer, the, that part of the prayer ends, that the world would believe, right? That, that's our goal, right? That's, that's our, right? To, to build a church, Jesus envisioned to love the world he died to save. We, we want to be a church that reveals to the world that has a, a, a sense of draw to Christ when they come here. And so Jesus is saying, in order for you to be a church that reveals Jesus to the world, you've got to be at the center of God's heart. He's saying, you need to be in me, which means that the church that you build, you, you, you've got to build it in a way that it is at the center of the dream that is in God's heart. And then you can be the kind of church that draws people to Christ. And then in this prayer where he starts, he tells us the way that you find your way into the heart of God when it comes to building the church is that you're unified. See, that when you find yourself in a place of unity, you find yourself at the center of God's heart and you end up building a church that reveals Jesus to the world. Fitting into the heart of God is not always an easy thing. It, it requires us to bend to one another. In order to, for us to find the kind of unity that puts us at the center of God's heart, which is ultimately going to reveal Christ to the world, it requires us to, to defer to each other a little bit. And I was thinking about this idea of bending and fitting. I begin to have flashbacks to when our kids were as small as David's kids, and we would have to get the car seat into the car. You know what I'm talking about. You are willing to go through whatever inconvenience you have to in order to not have to move the base of the car seat from one vehicle to another. Yeah, right? You'll do whatever it takes. You'll leave luggage behind. You'll cast lots for which child has to stay at home for family vacation. Because to move that base, right? Especially if you were like us, and we had a four-door sedan, right? Because we didn't have the minivan revelation yet, which you're going to get it one day. I'm six foot three, 200 pounds. You, you, you want to see me contorted. Look at me in the back seat of a four-door sedan, kneeling on top of a car seat to create the space to cinch the seatbelt so that there's enough tension. And you better look out when you undo that seatbelt, because there's a lot of pressure there. You should have safety glasses on, I'm just saying. If you don't feel like that at times in the church that you call home, then you're not working hard enough to find unity with the people that are around you. Jesus is saying that the only way that we can be fully in God as the church he intends to build is for us to be aligned with one another. Let me read again. Jesus is saying that the only way that we can be fully in God as the church that he intends to build is for us to be aligned with one another. Jesus is saying if you don't find the kind of alignment that rises to biblical unity, you will not be at the center of God's heart for the church that he wants to build. And if you're not at the center of God's heart for the church that he wants to build, you will not 
Be the kind of church that reveals Jesus to the lost around you. Let me just tell you what unity is not. Unity is not uniformity. Unity is not uniformity. Uniformity says to people, you don't have to be like us when you come, but you better get there quick. Uniformity says you you can come with different beliefs, you can come with different ideas, you can come with different preferences, but but if you want to stay, you got to change to be like us. That's not unity. Unity is not homogeneity. Homogeneity says you got to be like us from the start, or you might as well just keep going down the street to another church. See, homogeneity says we all want to be the same, and we're not even going to wait for you to change to be like us. You, do, you better be like us when you walk in the door. That's not unity. And unity is certainly not inauthenticity. Inauthenticity, which is, happens in a lot of churches, deep down inside, you have different ideas, and you have different beliefs, and you have different perspectives, and you have different opinions, you have different political viewpoints, but you keep all of that hidden so that you can go along to get along. That's not unity. Biblical unity is when different-minded, different-gifted, different-looking, different-living people come together for a common eternal purpose. Let me read again. Biblical unity is when different-minded, different-gifted, different-looking, different-living people come together for a common eternal purpose. And if you want to know where I get that definition from, it's called the book of Acts. You just read the whole thing and you'll find it. Chris House has a pretty good definition of unity. When diversity is celebrated, harmony is established and unity is achieved. When diversity is celebrated, harmony is established and unity is achieved. One of my favorite working definitions of unity is that unity is achieved, listen, when absolute commonalities transcend relative dissimilarities. Now that's a mouthful, let's break it down. When absolute commonalities transcend relative dissimilarities. One of the reasons why churches struggle with unity is because they have a hard time embracing the idea that relativism is okay within the context of Christianity. Not everything is supposed to be an absolute. Are there absolutes? You better believe there are. It's not Christianity if there's not absolutes. But if you make everything an absolute, you create a legalistic environment. If you make everything relative, you, may, you create a permissive environment. But when you make and allow the right things to be absolutes and the right things to be relative, you end up with something the Bible calls unity. Amen. Moral absolutes, the Ten Commandments, those are never changing. Jesus doesn't come back for another 10,000 years. That list is not getting edited. Timeless. The Sermon on the Mount, moral absolutes. The Pauline epistles, his list of do these things and don't do those things, moral absolutes. Those things are never changing. The world doesn't have a problem with church having absolutes. They have a problem with things that are supposed to be relative being made absolutes. You've got to make room for the preferences of other people. 
styles of music, church structures, different titles that churches choose to use to identify leaders, organizational structure, constitution, and bylaws, certain doctrines and belief that are emphasized in one church over another, but they're all important. These are all things that are relative that you've got to make room for other people. You might be here tonight and you might be thinking, Fred, I I don't know if I believe that tithing is for today. And I would say to you, I'm okay with that. I believe that tithing is for today. We teach that tithing is for today. We believe it's in the New Testament. But I've sat down with many good friends, pastors, who present a sound, biblical, hermeneutical defense of tithing not being for today. I'm okay with that. As long as the outcome that you reach comes from a sound process of interpreting the Bible, we can get to two different places and make room for each other. I don't have a problem with what John MacArthur is talking about. I have a problem that he doesn't make room for people that disagree with him because that's not biblical unity. If you've ever been in a situation, in a circumstance where you've thought this or said this, and if you're breathing right now, you've done it at least once in your life. If, you've, if you're married, you've done it more than once. Here it is. I, ju- I just can't understand why you don't understand that I'm right and you're wrong. Right? Vanessa said, yeah. She says like she feels that every day. Right? I, I just, I don't understand. Well, you don't understand. I don't get it. How can you not see that I'm right and you're wrong? And you can have two people that are absolutely convinced that they're right. And you know what? Oftentimes you both are. You both are. And you have to make room for each other. I tell people, I say, hey, if you don't believe in biblical tithing, I'm good with that. Because if you take all the stuff out of the New Testament that talks about tithing, what you're left with what you're left with is going to cost you a lot more than 10%. Because if you take all the stuff in the New Testament with tithing, which I, I'm okay with, if you feel that those are not for today, if you feel that those are time-bound, we believe in the principle of time-boundness, that, then what you're left with is that, that you, you should be practicing generosity at the church that you call home at a measure that is so sacrificial that it cause, causes other people to be awe-inspired by your giving. And when people see that, all of a sudden, tithing starts to look really good. I'll take the 10. I'll take the 10%. There's all kinds of churches in our city and in our world of different denominations and, and, and different doctrinal beliefs because God knows that it's going to take all different kinds of churches to reach different kinds of people. I think this is part of, I think it was part of his plan. People that are frustrated by denomination, I, I, I say, I think you're frustrated with God's intent because it takes a lot of diversity to reach a lot of people. Be firm in your conviction. Celebrate what you believe. But if it's not supposed to be a moral absolute, then make room for other people. Because when you're willing to make room for other people, you begin to experience something that the Bible calls unity. And without it, you can't be at the center of God's heart. 
And if we're not at the center of God's heart, we're undermining our ultimate purpose, which is to reveal Jesus to the world. Sameness, listen to this, should not be based on who we are, but rather who we serve. Sameness should not be based on who we are, but rather who we serve. As we keep reading, listen to John 17, 22 to 23. It's like Jesus reverses it here. Listen to what he says. I've given them the glory that you gave me. Now, that's another sermon for another time, but part of what Jesus is talking about is the Holy Spirit here. I've given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be right? so that they may be one as we are one, right? Because in our human effort, we're never going to walk in the kind of unity that the Bible talks about because human nature always wants to be right. Human nature has a hard time with deference. So now we have the power of the Holy Spirit to help us walk in a measure of unity that was otherwise impossible. Verse 23, listen to what it says. Because then it was talking about us being in God. Now watch what Jesus says here. I am in them. That's talking about himself. He's in us. And then he says to God, and you are in me. So if God's in Jesus and Jesus is in us, right, and he's given us the Holy Spirit, guess we've got all of who God is inside of us when we make a vow of devotion to Christ. And may, listen to what it says, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. I think the reason why unity is supposed to be a significant outcome for the church that Jesus envisioned is because it's one of the ways that the world is supposed to look at the church and be inspired that people that are so dramatically different, how do they come together? And work with each other. Because from the secular point of view, from a world's point of view, you you cannot be effective unless there is uniformity, homogeneity, and if we have to suffer inauthenticity to all be moving in the right direction, we're okay. Jesus says, no, 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 no. You don't have to do any of that. Because when you follow in the footsteps of Christ... and lean into the power of the Holy Spirit who is inside of us, we can walk together in such togetherness with someone who's so dramatically different than who we are that we find a sense of interdependence in our diversity that enables us to have an impact in our world that would otherwise be impossible. And when the world begins to see that, it begins to take notice. And it begins to ask the question, how is that even possible? And then you become the church that begins to reach the world that we were commissioned. The church is not supposed to just be a place where people grow in their faith. The church is not just supposed to be a place where we come and are encouraged. The church is not just supposed to be a place for the believer. The church is also supposed to be a place where people come and their lives together are such that it becomes a witness to the rest of the world that Jesus saves. If we do everything else right but fall short of being the kind of community that inspires others to put their faith in Christ, then we've built something that we should just call by another name, it's not the church. 
Diversity is not easy. Diversity is hard. Deferring to one another and yielding to one another, it goes against our nature. Acts 2, 7 to 12. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed, these people are all from Galilee, right? This is the birthing of the church, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And it says, yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own language about the wonderful things that God has done. And they stood there amazed and perplexed. How can this be? They asked each other. I think one of the reasons why the outpouring of the Holy Spirit happened during the Feast of Pentecost, it's for a lot of reasons. We teach on it here a couple of times a year on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But one of them is because God was trying to create a picture of what the church is supposed to look like forever. It's supposed to look diverse. It's supposed to look like all kinds of different people coming together for one eternal purpose. See, if you're a church, you've got to constantly be asking yourself this question, do we as a church look like the city that we're in? Do we look like the city that we're in? There are degrees of diversity that are attainable based on where you are. That's just a reality. For some churches in certain parts of America and certain parts of the world, ethnic diversity, cultural diversity is going to be more difficult to attain because they live in a homogenous demographic, but not here in Newport News. This idea of diversity means many things, but one of, one of them most certainly means racial diversity, ethnic diversity. It's one of the reasons why we're given this list in Acts chapter 2. If you live in a place where there are lots of people that look differently from one another, you should be a church that looks like the city that you're in. Racially diverse congregations are the result of a refusal to have a singular ethnic cultural dominance that becomes a mandated absolute for all. Let me give it to you again. Racially diverse congregations are the result of a refusal to have a singular ethnic cultural dominance that becomes a mandated absolute for all. So let me give you an example. As a white man, I can speak on this with authority. White cultural dominance, because this is the church that I grew up in. Male-dominated, emotionally reserved, rigid structures, quiet worship, analytics-driven, and overly time-conscious. You can do this for every ethnicity that there is. There are cultural norms. They are. And cultural norms are not bad. They're not. But if you allow cultural norms to become absolutes, you create a filter that now becomes barriers for other people of other cultural norms to find a sense of acceptance in the church that you call home. That's just an example of ethnic cultural dominance. There's something called generational cultural dominance. There's socioeconomic cultural dominance. There is political cultural dominance. If we are a church that is going to experience biblical unity, then 
there has to be diversity present. And in order for there to be diversity that's present, then we've got to make room for one another. Even when we don't agree. Acts 15, 19 to 20. The church has been struggling with this for 2,000 years. 2,000 years! You think we would have figured it out by now? Acts 15, 19 to 20. There was a church in Antioch that was having incredible success reaching people with the gospel. Paul was there, Barnabas was there, other believers were there. Some people heard about it in Jerusalem, got upset because this church in Antioch, this movement that was beginning in Antioch, was not elevating Jewish cultural dominance to a place of moral absolutism. So they sent some people up to correct them. Paul's not easily correctable, praise the Lord. There's a reason why he picked the person who was responsible for the murder of more Christians before his conversion to be the great evangelist of the Bible, right? He wanted somebody who was tough. So these people showed up and Paul's like, no, 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 no. And then they traveled back to Jerusalem, brought their concern to the apostles. And the apostles met and prayed and came to this conclusion. So my judgment is, listen to this, we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Come on. Love this verse in the Bible. Right? You, oh, you know. There were people like, what did he just say? What? We're, we're supposed to not require them? I t- some, one of them looked at someone else and said, I just don't understand why they don't understand. Why I'm right in there wrong. Yeah. I, l- I love this reason. It's right here. This is in my, it's in your Bible too. We should not make it difficult for Gentiles. That's a fill in the blank. You put a fill in the blank there. We should not make it difficult for Republicans who are turning to God. Oh, I'm going to put some other ones in here. We should not make it difficult for Democrats who are turning to God. We should not make it difficult. Put any ethnicity you want in there. Put any socioeconomic class that you want in there. Am I going to switch? Thank you. Am I on? You got me? All right. Thank you, Ryan. You can't have a belief system that's based on relative dissimilarities because they become barriers for other people. You're not always going to agree. In fact, if you've got true biblical unity, expect disagreement, but look for mutual respect. Listen to what it says. Instead, we should write and tell them, abstain from eating food offered to idols. Now, these are things that we don't struggle with today for the most part. I would say one of them, sexual immorality, is still a struggle today. But all the other ones deal with pagan worship, from eating food offered to idols, 
from, from sexual immorality, from eating meat strangled with animals, and, and from consuming blood. So, so what they're saying is let's, let's, let's make sure that we're teaching people to not be sexually immoral, and let's make sure we're teaching people that they've got to set aside their pagan practices and worship only one true God. Now, you and I both know that Christianity is more than this. It's more than this. Because we have the whole rest of the Bible to read. And Paul has a lot to say about what Christian living looks like. But in all of the teachings of Paul, he's careful to always only teach moral absolutes. And he leaves things that should be relative and that are preferential. He leaves those things behind. And when he talks about them, he identifies them as preferences and differentiates them from moral absolutes. Churches are going to have cultural norms. Churches are going to have things that are preferential. Part of the journey and the struggle of unity is that we hold each other in a healthy tension, and we have to keep making sure that things that are norms for us, that we are not leaning on them to the degree that it becomes a barrier for other people, and at times where appropriate that we make room for other norms as God brings people into our church, the culture changes to reflect who they are. So it feels like they're home too. If you've got diversity in your church, then you have something called mutual respect. Mutual respect says, it's not what I believe, but I see how you got there. You got to be able to say that to people. I have a different point of view, but I can see why you have the one that you do. You've got to make room for people that have different beliefs. Because when you have diversity, you have an opportunity for mutual respect that leads to something I'm calling interdependence. Because at some point, there's a revelation that you begin to realize that you need that other person joined to your life, and your life joined to their life, and all these other people joined to one another. That's called 1 Corinthians 12. It's called Ephesians 4. It's called Romans chapter 12. It's this idea that God brings us together, this beautiful culture of interdependence that's possible because there's mutual respect in the midst of diversity that produces unity that allows you to have the kind of impact that we're called to have in our world. I'm going to invite the band to make their way back to the front. Can I just, can I just tell you that this idea of diversity is not just about individuals, it's about churches. It's about churches. See, we have a saying here at the City Life Church, if you've been around here for any amount of time, you've heard us say it before, you are family from the first hello. You're family from the first hello. We're saying that you will be loved and accepted here. And we aren't just saying that to individuals, we're saying that to churches in our city. It's one of the reasons why we're excited about this property being given to us. When it was given to us, people began to say, does this mean you're going to have a service on Sunday? We were like, heck no, we're not having a church on Sunday. Not just because we've enjoyed the margins that it creates in our life, but because we've had a dream and a vision for some time now to see churches work together in a way that demonstrates to the world that there is mutual respect and interdependence even amongst our doctrinal differences 
And when the world begins to see that kind of unity, we begin to kind of have an impact that the Bible talks about and the kind of impact we see in the book of Acts. So when this property was gifted to us, we, we were, can I just tell you, we were just as excited about extending invitation to other churches to join us as we were this property becoming ours. We were. We were. God always resources his vision. We aren't saying this is a permissive environment. We aren't saying that moral absolutes are negotiable. What we are saying is that City Life is a church family that is willing to work together with each other prayerfully, with the Holy Spirit, and diligently studying Scripture to understand the difference. You are family from the first hello. It's not just a statement of hospitality. It is a declaration born out of conviction that diverse people matter to God and they are going to matter to us if we're going to build the church that Jesus envisioned to love the world he died to save. Stand with me. Father, as we step into this moment of worship, I, I pray, I pray for all of us here that you would make room in our hearts for each other. Father, I, I, I think about these, this moment and how many of us are going to be at a Thanksgiving table not too many days from now. And, and there's that moment at that meal where we have to make a decision. Am I going to get another plate or am I going to leave room for dessert? Because we know that the taste of that dessert is so glorious that we're willing to sacrifice something to make space for the sweetness that we know is soon coming. I, I pray, I pray that we would see people that look differently than we do, that comes from walks of life differently than we've walked, that have different political affiliations and alignments that we might prefer and have ourselves, that we would see them the way that you see them, that we would see them in the sweetness of their life, and we would make room for them, that we would make room for them. Because what we know, God, you begin to do is we begin to make room for people that are different than we are, something incredible begins to happen. It's through their journey and through their story that we begin to see some of the own biases that we've carried for far too long. Something miraculous begins to happen. We begin to understand things that we thought were absolutes that are supposed to be relative from one person to another. But as we begin to make room for one another, we begin to change one another. We begin to rely on one another. And we begin to reveal to the world the picture of diversity that brings about biblical unity, that aligns us with the heart of the Father. So we can be a place 
where people come and find Christ so that they might know the same hope of heaven and heaven on earth that we share with each other now. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together.